0: Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. Listen, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing our series through the Sermon on the Mount... Uh, One thing that's important to us here at Mercy Hill uh, is that we uh, faithfully teach through the scriptures together. Uh, We believe uh, that what God has to say in his word uh, is incredibly important, vital to our lives, Uh, and so we want that to be the basis of what we do, what we talk about, what we're learning, uh, and what we're reflecting on. Uh, With that in mind, uh, we do have uh, something huge coming in 2024 that we want to make sure you guys know about. Uh, In 2024, we want to make Bible engagement a priority in the life of our church across the board. Uh, And so some of you have already heard this and already received one of these. But what we've done is we put together uh, a journal... Uh, with a reading plan for five days of the week uh, that we would invite everybody to participate in in 2024. Uh, Also in that journal are notes uh, to lead your discussion uh, around the Scripture that we have in our missional communities, which is like our version of small groups, uh, and then also a place for you to take notes as we... um, hear from God's Word on Sunday mornings together. And so we would love for you to grab one of those. There's stacks of them in the uh, in the lobby. And so you just make sure you grab one of those so you can join us on this journey of uh, engaging together uh, in the Scripture over the course of 2024. Sound good? Good, good. All right, well, back in the previous century, uh, in the 1900s, um, we used to use a piece of antiquated technology, the Rand McNally Road map. Anybody remember these maps? Everyone before, born before 1999 has the, probably the same shared memory. Vacation or a road trip with your family, somewhere along the way, your dad has made the, a wrong turn and can't quite figure out where you are. Mom is unfolding the map in the front seat, which is quite an experience because the map was actually too big to fit in a single front seat sort of area. And so she is folding and refolding, trying to find where she is, while your father is barking orders about where exactly you are and trying to identify the previous cross streets that you uh, missed or where the turn might have been. Finally, dad, out of just frustration, grabs the map, from mom drives with one knee on the steering wheel at 70 miles an hour down the interstate while trying to navigate the map. Anybody have that experience? Is that a shared experience or just maybe just me? All right. There's a few people who are with me. Now, of course, we don't use those sorts of roadmaps anymore because we have turn by turn directions right on our phones. No more maps, no more having to memorize turns. No more following directions scrawled on the back of a gas station napkin. No more driving with our needs, searching for streets that we recognize on a multifolded map. <clears throat> now, the problem, though, and I don't know if you've experienced this, the problem with just blindly following Waze or Google Maps is sometimes you look around and you're like, I don't actually know where I am, Right? You had that experience? Like, I am just trusting that Waze knows where I am because I have never been in this area of town before, and I have no idea what turns are coming next. This process of mindlessly following directions given to us by another person, while can be helpful in navigating Atlanta traffic, sometimes can get us into trouble. And this is exactly what Jesus is going to talk about in our text today. So if you have a Bible, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Here's what he says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And Jesus says, those who find it are few. Jesus creates a contrast. He says there's two gates. There's a narrow gate and there's a wide gate. There's two ways or two paths. There's the easy way and the hard way. There are two different crowds. There's a full way with a massive crowd and many people are on that path together. And then there's a harder path that's only taken by a few people. The crowd is much smaller. And he says there's two different destinations that these two different paths and these two different gates and these two different ways and these two different crowds are heading in two different places. The wide gate and the easy way, Jesus says, leads to destruction. Some other translations say hell, so he means eternal destruction. The narrow gate and the hard way, Jesus says, leads to life. The opposite of destruction, which would be life here and now, the good life that God intended, the life that we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, an eternal life. These metaphors of a gate and a path are actually pointing us to something that Jesus has been talking about, again, all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. It's the context of this teaching. R- remember what we said all the way at the beginning. The Sermon on the Mount it's Jesus' teaching. And what it contains is God's blueprint for what it means to live as people, people that God designed us to be. So Jesus is saying here that the blueprint of God's design for your life and my life involves walking a path and entering through a gate that most people don't see, recognize, or want to pursue that this way of life is different than the way that people naturally want to live, what we gravitate towards, or what we drift to. But living by God's blueprint, or according to, as we've said, the kingdom of God, living out this culture of the kingdom of God, is not easy, and it's not wise, wide, and it's not incredibly popular. Now, the problem, of course, is that a wide gate in an easy way are easy for a reason. And we find ourselves often easily drifting into this way of life that isn't according to this counterculture that Jesus has taught us all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. And if we're not paying attention, if we're not sure where we're going, we might end up in a place that we never intended to be. That the way isn't good or justified as being good because it's popular or where well-worn, But instead, we need to pay attention to Jesus's teaching. It's easy for us to drift away from the life that God designed for us. Now, what is this life? What is this easy way? What is this wide gate? Well, again, remembering the context, this is the Sermon on the Mount, so let's just back up to the beginning. Jesus has already told us what the the narrow way is. He's already described it in the Beatitudes. And so then the wide gates or the easy way would just be living life opposite of the Beatitudes. The easy way is a path of refusing to admit our spiritual need. The easy way is the path of pride and self centeredness. The easy way ignores the brokenness of the world and of our very hearts. The the easy way is the path of boasting and self-promotion. It's lowering the standards of our personal conduct. It's hypocrisy, not sincerity. And the easy way runs from suffering. It is the very opposite of the culture of God's kingdom that we've been building together, building our understanding all the way through this series. The easy path then from the Sermon on the Mount is consumed with anger Refuses reconciliation with others. The easy path is marked by lusts and out-of-control appetites. The easy path rejects faithfulness and marriage relationships. The easy path feels no obligation to be straightforward or honest with our words. The easy path seeks retaliation, hates our enemies, trumpets our own good deeds, hoards our resources, rejects God's generous gra- generous and gracious concern for us. The easy path is judgmental. It looks down our noses at others with concern contempt, and it refuses to treat other people the way that we want to be treated. And so Jesus is looking at his hearers and going, hey, everything that I just talked to you about, it is very, very easy to live in opposition to all of this. It's easy to choose a life that is radically different from the life that God designed for us. It's easy just to follow the directions that seem right and end up somewhere you never intended to be. And I think what Jesus intends to communicate is it's easy to drift towards destruction and easy to drift towards eternal separation from God. But the narrow path and the narrow gate, the narrow gate and the hard path are different. It's a different sort of life, the life that Jesus has been describing all the way throughout the Sermon on the Mount well, how do I get there? Well, another important thing when we set the context of the passage is to remember who's teaching. Who's teaching the Sermon on the Mount? Well, it was Jesus. And has Jesus ever commented on a gate? Well, yeah, we find that in John chapter 10. The ESV, it says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door, other translations say the gate of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am, he repeats again, the door. Anyone who enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and go out and find pasture. So Jesus fine-tuning in a different teaching what the gate is or the narrow gate is. He says, that's me. I'm actually the entryway into God's kingdom. If you want to start the pathway of living according to God's blueprint for your life, who God designed you to be, Jesus is saying, then you enter through me. That this way of life revolves around me, centers on me, the entry point is me, and the continuation afterwards is about your relationship with me. And that the lifespan for your entire life after you enter into the narrow gate, is spent walking away alongside Jesus that he has laid out for every single one of us. Now, the problem isn't just that we drift away from this sort of hard path. The problem Jesus identifies in the next paragraph. Here's what he says. He says, it's easy to be deceived by others who choose a life that's radically different from the life that God designed for us. Check it out. Verse 15. Beware of false teachers who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. <clears throat> you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears fruit, but, diseased trees bear, uh, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus says there are people who surround us every single day, who appear to be working for our good, but instead are leading us to destruction. Who claim this is the way, this is the path, this is the gate, this is the way that you follow, this is the the actual life that you want, but the destination, Jesus says, is destruction. And it can be easy for us to be deceived by other people, to choose a life for ourselves that's radically different from the life that God designed for us. Now, in this passage, Jesus calls these particular people false prophets. A prophet is somebody who speaks the truth about God and his word. So a false prophet then is someone who seems to be speaking the truth about God and his word, but in fact is not. Jesus is saying appearances can be deceiving. They appear to be, he says, sheep, but they are really wolves. Or they appear to be for our good, but in fact, they are leading us away from what is good. Now, these false prophets might be charismatic. They might seem to be in the right. They might have a large following. They might have powerful words. They might do incredible works. But powerful words and incredible works are not the definitive declaration that somebody knows God is being used by God or is telling the truth. And in our culture right now, we have false prophets everywhere. We have politicians who are prescribing a life that human flourishing will come from things that run counter to the kingdom. We have philosophers who are explaining the way that reality works in a way that runs counter to the kingdom. We have social media influencers I'm not even sure they're worried about the kingdom or your flourishing, but they're definitely worried about their own bank account. And constantly pointing us to a way that runs counter to God's kingdom, God's way of life. Some of us, even more personally, have family members. Remember who's in the crowd. Jesus is speaking to a crowd that includes religious leaders. And unfortunately, in our day, just like in Jesus' day, there are religious leaders who would be false prophets or teachers who are leading us away from the way that God designed for people to live. Includes preachers and church leaders. So how do we know? How do we identify these false prophets or teachers or leaders? People who are trying to deceive us into choosing a life that runs counter to the life that God has for us. Well, it isn't by their words. Jesus says it's by their character. Now let's rewind. Remember where we started with the Beatitudes. What did we say? The blessed life, the good life, the life of flourishing that God intends for us is a life spent conforming our character to the culture of God's kingdom. So what Jesus wants us to embrace Conforming our character to the culture of God's kingdom. So how do we identify false prophets or teachers? We look at who they are. And if their character is not conforming to the culture of God's kingdom, then we have reason to be suspicious. They could be great leaders. They could be incredibly charismatic, driven, excellent communicators. The results could be amazing. They could build great churches, assemble all kinds of people in a political rally. They could have followers on top of followers on top of followers on in social media. In our own world as Christians, people could come to faith, churches could be started and grow, but Jesus says that we look at them by the fruit that their life, the character of who they are. And the real fruit, we just go back to the beatitudes. What did Jesus say? Conforming to the culture of God's kingdom looks like this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so we're asking of people, are they humble? Do they recognize their own spiritual need? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So we're asking of people who are teaching and having influence in our lives, do they grieve the brokenness in them and the brokenness in our world? Jesus said, blessed are the meek. So we're asking, are these people marked by gentleness? They're not demanding and domineering blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness we're asking are they concerned about their own personal character and being conformed to god's will blessed are the merciful are they marked by compassion and grace and kindness blessed are the pure in heart are they sincere or hypocritical blessed are the peacemakers do they pursue peace with god and others blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake are these people resilient in the face of suffering persecution and hardship are they faithful even when it's hard to be faithful We could even look to Paul's list of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. Say, are these people marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control? Our defense against this sort of deception is to look at people's lives, not just their influence or their words. And our standard is not what works. I get it. We're Americans, so let me slow down and say that one more time. We don't choose who we follow based on pragmatism, what works. We choose who we trust and who we follow based on the person and work of Jesus, the door or the gate. Am I trusting this person? Does this person that I'm trusting have a character that looks like Jesus? Is this person teaching what Jesus taught? Is this person pointing clearly to Jesus or to themselves? Is this person living a hard way or easy way? Does this look like Jesus? And unfortunately, right now, you and I in the church world have access to all sorts of teachers online online. And you can benefit greatly from the teaching of other people. Please don't hear me say that. I read, listen to other people constantly and benefit greatly to it. But we should be careful, especially if we cannot observe their character. Now, unfortunately, in the passage, there's actually a bigger problem than just the fact that we can be deceived by false teachers, and it's this. It's that it's easy to deceive ourselves And choose a life that's radically different from the life that God designed for us. It's easy to deceive ourselves. Check out verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father, of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you would depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This might be one of the most terrifying passages in all of the scriptures. And it's from the mouth of Jesus. And he gives us a warning that not only can we be deceived by other people, but we can deceive ourselves that we could be so deluded about who we actually are that we are trusting that our future is secure. Wrongly. This is more dangerous than deception by another person. It's convincing ourselves that we're good and we're fine. And Jesus first points out really boldly that when we're self-deceived, often we use the right words. Verse 21, the people who are self-deceived look at Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, that's right. That is the correct way to address Jesus with our words. They call him by the right name. But Jesus points out not everyone who uses the right words are on the right path. Jesus says you and I can profess something that we don't possess that we can profess that Jesus is our Lord, but in actuality, he is not. And then secondly, he points out that the self-deceived can do good works. These people are shocked that Jesus is not all in on them, right? They're like, what what do you mean? That you don't know us. Didn't, Didn't we do mighty works in your name? Didn't we accomplish great things? And Jesus says, That your good works can actually reflect a heart that is deceived. That that's not how we know that we're in right standing with God and we're citizens of the kingdom. That's not how we actually have the life that God intended for us. Which then leads to the question, right? Could I be this person? Is it possible that I thought that I entered through the narrow gate, and I was wrong? Is it possible that I think I'm on the path that leads to life and I am wrong? How would I know? Verse 21, let's back up. What does Jesus say? It's not who says, Lord, Lord, but what? But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Which leads us to the next question we have to ask. What is the will of Jesus's Father in heaven? Luckily, Jesus tells us. John chapter 6, verse 39 is what Jesus says. And this is the will of him who sent me. Who's that? Jesus' Father, God in heaven, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. Check this out, verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus tells us two things about the Father's will. First is something that Jesus will do. God's will was that Jesus would come, live a perfect life, die on the cross and raise from the dead. Why? So that he could hold on to every single person who would enter through the narrow gate. So that Jesus could accomplish the will of God to save in and of himself. And... It's God's will then for us to respond to that in a certain way. What is that way? That everyone who looks on the sun and believes in him should have eternal life. That you and I would, let's back up. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That we would hear Jesus' teaching and we would see our own spiritual need. That we would realize that we are bankrupt that we can't find the gates, we can't navigate the path on our own, that we have a need, that we would humble ourselves, and instead of looking to ourselves to figure our lives out, and instead of looking to false teachers, we would look to Jesus the Son, and we would believe or trust in Him and Him alone. The key is not the words that we say or the actions that we take, but the posture of our hearts. The way we enter is through Jesus, the gates, the door, admitting the depth of our need, admitting our own sinfulness, admitting that we were on the wrong path, admitting that we were heading in the wrong direction and that we were on the fast track for destruction and trusting in Christ. This idea of admitting our need, the Bible calls repentance. And this is the exact opposite of being self-deceived. This is taking a very hard, honest look at ourselves and recognizing our need to change. And then when we trust in Jesus, believe on Jesus, look to Jesus, the Bible calls this faith or belief, that we would trust Jesus and Jesus alone to save us. I love J.D. Greer says it this way, belief means acknowledging that God told the truth, the truth about Jesus, namely that he is Lord. And that he has finished forever the work of our salvation. So how do you know that you're on the right path that leads to life? Ask this very simple question. Have I repented of my sins? And have I trusted Jesus? Or in Jesus's words... Have I done the will of the Father, which is to look onto the Son and belief? J.D. says again, repentance and faith are heart postures that you take toward the finished work of Christ. The real stuff, the stuff that matters is the posture of repentance and faith behind the words that you speak. And that's the way we know. Have I trusted Christ? Or maybe we could ask this question, am I currently trusting Christ? And then, is my life growing increasingly in conformity to the character of the culture of the kingdom of God? Right? Have I entered through the gates and am I walking the hard way Now I know some of us grew up in church youth group, right? When we heard this text before, the easy way, right? was like drinking and smoking and hanging out with people who did, right? And the hard way was saying no to all that stuff, right? The easy way was listening to rock music and the hard way was burning it all together with your youth group behind Brian Williamson's house, right? (laughs) That's what we heard, Right? Now, I'm not saying that is wrong, but what I am saying is it's a little shallow, right? The easy way is pride. The easy way is retaliation. The easy way is a lack of honesty. The easy way rejects doing heart work. The hard way, the way of Jesus. It's embracing poverty of our own spiritual lives. Embracing gentleness, meekness. Loving our enemies. Treating other people the way that we long to be treated. That's the hard way. And so we ask ourselves, is that the path that I'm on? Am I slowly over time conforming my character to match the culture of the kingdom of God. Another question I would ask you this morning is where are you finding your assurance? I am not here this morning to cause you to doubt your faith. That's not what this text does. It's not. What this text does is ask you to doubt your words and deeds. Right? And in the middle of your doubt of your own words and deeds, your own goodness, turn to trust the goodness of Jesus. That's what this text does. And when you understand it that way, you can have assurance, right? You can have unbelievable assurance. That you're on the right path and you're headed to the right destination. Why? Because it's not up to you. And so the simple question then though, am I trusting Christ to save me? Did I come to Jesus as the door or the gate? Did I come to Jesus as a savior of my very soul? And if the answer is yes, then we can have unbelievable Assurance. So today, I think there's a few people in the room, and there's a few different ways that we need to respond. The first is perhaps you've never come to faith in Christ, and perhaps you didn't get past the first paragraph. And you took a long look at your life and just said, the truth is, I'm on this easy way and it leads me to destruction and I've been on it my whole life. And I need something to change. And the good news for you today is it can change today. Right now. Independent of your behavior, your words, your actions. Today, I would love to invite you to respond in faith to come to Jesus and say, man, I've been following the turn by turn navigations of the people around me and my own heart. And I am lost. Jesus today, I need you to save me and rescue me. I believe that you died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins I believe you rose from the dead, guaranteeing my resurrection in the future. And I want to trust you with my life. I want to believe on you. Some of us today are followers of Jesus, and our response might be different. Perhaps you're a follower of Jesus who's who struggled with assurance of your faith. And I just want to encourage you today man, you are not going to find assurance by evaluating the level of your own goodness alone. You will find assurance the more and more you are convinced that Jesus is who he says he is and that Jesus has done for you exactly what he promised to do. His promise from John 6, if you look on the sun and believe, you will have eternal life. That's your assurance. And perhaps today is a day where you need to be reminded of that. Perhaps today is a day where you need to allow that just to refill your heart. So I think this is our response today. Some of us need to come to faith in Christ. And some of us need to allow the goodness of Jesus to fan that faith in us into a flame. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.